0: Class, I'm glad you're here today, did get flooded out, uh, we Baptists, we, uh, we really believe in immersion, but we don't like rain for some reason, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm glad you're here today and I'm excited, we're getting ready to start a new book today, we finished up Daniel last time, we want to look at Revelation this time. Now, let's uh, let's begin by having a word of prayer and asking God to bless not only today, but in our time together as we'll work our way through the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that I have to minister the word and to be able to share with the people here in my class. And I pray that uh, we together will come to understand the book of Revelation in a deeper way have a greater appreciation for what it tells us that brings blessing into our lives when we heed what it says and pray we pray also that as we work our way through the rest of the sessions together that you will enlighten us and that it that enlightenment will enable us to respond to what's going on in the world around us in a biblical fashion And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning, class, uh, I want to give a little bit more lengthy introduction. We have a lot of preliminary things that we need to go over so that we together can understand the book. Uh, I want to begin, however, by talking about the book of Daniel. And I want to remind you, those of you who have been in here faithfully in our class, that the book of Daniel emphasizes the four major kingdoms that come before the millennial kingdom, the fifth kingdom. And an emphasis is given not only to those four kingdoms, but in particular, the fourth kingdom, and even more uh, specified uh, to the little horn, the Antichrist, as he eventually becomes the Antichrist that comes out of this fourth kingdom. You recall we talked about the fact that the fourth kingdom is a prophetic Roman empire. There's a historical uh, Roman empire, and we have chosen to call this one that is described in the latter part of Daniel as the prophetic Roman empire. It's different and distinct in that it's ruled by Antichrist, It is also different because it is universal in nature. It covers the entire world. Now, there's an emphasis on that in the book of Daniel, but when you get to Revelation, it makes it very clear. Every single tribe, group of people, language, everybody, comes under the leadership of this Antichrist as he rules the world. Now, when we talk about the book of Daniel, Uh, You recall that when we talk about the little horn, he makes a covenant in chapter 9, uh, verse 27, with the nation of Israel. Then in the middle of the week, three and a half years in, the last three and a half years are called the Great Tribulation because this Antichrist breaks his covenant with the nation of Israel. Another thing that uh, we find is that he stops the sacrifices uh, in the temple. And a final thing that we would mention to you is that he causes the abomination of desolation. In the last couple of sessions, we helped you to understand that's not simply the Antichrist in his control. In particular, it's the Antichrist setting up the idol that represents him and there to worship the world dwellers or to worship uh, this uh, idol. And that's the abomination of desolation. And we find that in chapter 11 and verse 31. We find it again in chapter 12 and verse 11. And then you recall that when we get to Matthew 24 and verse 15, Jesus says, uh, When you see the abomination of desolation standing in the temple, that's the idol, flee because you're now facing major issues as a people of israel and as a world now that's the idea in the kingdoms the other item that comes up in chapter 11 at the end beginning in verse 40 through verse 45 you recall there are a number of military campaigns that center around the nation of israel antichrist gets upset comes to protect the nation of israel not because he's wanting to honor his covenant or he loves those people. He says, this is my property. You're messing with me. And he begins this campaign back and forth with the other military leaders of the world. And it ends in the latter part of verse 45 that he comes to his end. Now, that is just a very quick review of Daniel. Remember, the historical item or items that are dealt with are the four major Gentile kingdoms that come before the setting up of the millennial kingdom. Now, what we have in Revelation is picking up at that point, and it describes for us what the Antichrist, the leader of this fourth kingdom, the prophetic kingdom, what he is going to do in the world when he has absolute control. So Revelation picks up off where Daniel uh, leaves off and emphasizes the activities of the leader of the fourth kingdom. Everybody with me? Now, I want to take a couple of other things and mention uh, that uh, when we get to the book of Revelation, there is an outline. Now, I've given you a two-page outline. I think it will expedite our understanding. But it's built on a verse. And in most books, you're not going to find this. But in Revelation, it's very clear. I want you to look at chapter 1, verse 19. Jesus has, has made double sure that they get this revelation from the Father. It's given to John, our brother in Christ. And he is given instructions. Here's what it is. Verse 19. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen. Now, class... What he has seen is a vision of Jesus Christ in chapter 1, and we'll deal with that this morning. So that's chapter 1, the things which you have seen. And the things which are, that's chapter 2, chapter 3, when he describes the condition of the seven churches in Asia Minor. That is what is called Turkey today. And he describes those seven churches and their 're good points and they're negative points, uh, so he says, write down the things that are things you've seen number one things that are are that are chapter two chapter three, the seven churches in Asia Minor, and then the text says, and the things which shall take place after these things so there's your future when he emphasizes the Antichrist in the fourth kingdom uh, and uh, And and deals with that throughout the rest of the book. So, the things you have seen, the things that are, and the things that shall be after these things. Everybody with me? Now, take out your outline, and we want you to look at that with me for a few minutes. I think it will help us as we work our way uh, through the book of Revelation. Now, uh, notice there's two sheets. The first one... The primary one is just entitled Revelation. And it gives you an outline of the book. Notice the things thou hast seen, chapter 1, verse 9 through verse 20. The things that are, that deals with chapter 2, verse 1, all the way through chapter 3 and verse 22. Everybody with me? That's your outline from verse 19 in chapter 1. Then the things that shall take place after these things begins in chapter 4 and goes all the way through chapter 22 and verse 5. There's your outline. Notice you have the seven churches listed. You have a word that I believe uh, highlights the content and the issues in that particular church. And he does that for each of the churches. Then you'll notice... That under the things that shall take place after these things, I want you to notice Christ's condemnation for the, the rebellious in chapter four, verse one through nineteen four. Notice there's three parts to it: the supervision of judgment, that is chapter four, and it's the Father and the Son in heaven, and then the execution of judgment, chapter five. Verses one to fourteen, the person that executes the judgment is the one appointed to be the judge. Christ is the judge. Father, the Father makes him the judge. We find that throughout the New Testament. This in particular describes how all of that comes about. and then you see the description of the judgment in chapter six, verse one uh, through nineteen four. Now you'll notice that there's a second section. First section under, after these things, Christ's condemnation of the rebellious and Christ's exaltation of the righteous. And so it talks about the marriage, supper of the Lamb, the second coming, millennial kingdom, final judgments, and the eternal state. That's all found in the exaltation of the righteous section. Now, I go back, and you may want to highlight this, and that is, a three under the condemnation of the rebellious notice the description of the judgment in six one through uh, nineteen four. That is amplified for you in your second sheet, if you'll look at it. The second sheet. It's entitled three series of judgments and five parenthetical sections of Revelation. Now this is important. Most people, I remember when I started reading the Book of Revelation, it's you know you got to know an awful lot about the Bible before you can come close to understanding what Revelation is saying. But one of the big issues is that you'd get going through the one of the judgments, like the seal judgment, and you'd get the chapter, uh, get to the sixth seal. And then something else comes in. It's a parenthetical section. You could take it right out and after the end of the parenthetical section, and it'll start talking about the seventh seal. So in between the sixth and the seventh, there's a parenthetical section. And what's happening, look up here, be careful that you see this. While everything is going on on the earth, the parenthetical sections are inserted to say, Here's what the Father and the Son are doing in heaven. Okay? They're in absolute control of all of this chaos. May I say to you today, as our country, the world is in chaos, but as our country becomes more and more characterized by chaos, as we move further and further away from the principles of God and the person of God, the chaos is going to increase. We watched the news last evening. Violence, murder, 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 everywhere, all over our state, all over Birmingham. And it's going to get worse. Chaos. Where is God? Revelation is saying, parenthetical section, here's what God is doing all while all that's going on. Everybody with me? Now, notice there's a parenthetical section between, in your sheet here, between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. Second observation that you will note, the seventh seal, when you get there and start reading, the seventh seal, look up here, each of the last steps in each of the three judgments, the seventh step is an introduction to the next set of judgments. So you have six seals, That bring about judgment. Seventh seal. Introduction of the next set of judgments. They're called the trumpet judgments. When you get to the seventh trumpet, what does it do? It introduces us to the vile or bold judgments. Everybody with me? So you've got three sets of judgments. And you have five parenthetical sections in the book of Revelation. Now, once you get that, the reading of the book is fairly simple. It's the interpretation you've got to deal with now. But all of a sudden, things come alive, and you appreciate what the author has done. Anybody with me? If you don't get this, you'll go through the struggle that I went through as a young fellow trying to figure out, okay, if I'm going to be blessed if I re- read the Revelation and heed what it says... Man, i got to know what it says. I can't figure it out. And part of it is the way the book is structured. Everybody with me? All right. Now, we can lay that aside, and you don't want to look at that anymore, I don't think, unless I ask you to, because when you hand out handouts, everybody starts looking at those and not listening to the guy who handed out the handouts. Okay? All right. Now, let's look at... Uh, This uh, first chapter as best we can. I want you to notice that in verses 1 to 8, before the vision of Christ comes in this chapter, there's what we call the prologue. And I want you to notice there's a number of things that we need to emphasize here. Notice the revelation of Jesus Christ. Stop. What does that mean? We talk about the apocalypse. Apocalypse. Everybody understands Apocalypse, they think, because they assume it means in time bad things happen. Well, that's true when you look at the Revelation. But the word Revelation itself does not necessarily have anything to do with negative or evil things. This is the Revelation, the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And the word apocalypse is made up of two words. The main verb means to uh, uh, to cover, and it has a little prefix apo attached to the front, a prepositional prefix attached to the front of the verb, which means from, to uncover from. In other words, to take away the covering, to to uncover. Jesus Christ, so that we can understand what he's doing in the book of Revelation. Everybody with me? It is not talking about judgment and negative things as much as it's talking about the great Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is going to bring about judgment. Now, notice, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. Now, we're going to talk in this prefix now uh, prologue we're talking about the uh, uh, preface to it all the revelation of Jesus Christ the substance now of this um, this section notice which God that is the father gave to him to show to his bond the things which must shortly take place and he sent and commanded it by his angel His bondservant John. Now, there are several things that we want to emphasize in that section, in that verse. Notice these things are coming from the Father to the Son, then they're given to John through an angel. Okay, that's the, the way it comes. And that's appropriate because an angel is a messenger. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the messengers or the angels of each of the churches in just a minute, or uh, next time anyway. But notice it says these things must come to pass. First thing that we need to see is that the, this is a certainty. These things must come to pass. And it must come to pass shortly. Look at that. Now, the word uh, shortly is also translated in some of the translations. I can't remember which ones are which now. But uh, they, they will come quickly. And some who have uh, just studied in the English text say quickly. Okay, that means he's going, right quick, he's here. Well, that's not exactly the meaning of the text. The word is uh, soon are close at hand near and remember when you talk like that you've got to talk about God's time frame he transcends time and so when it says soon that means in God's time you remember Peter a thousand years is a day day days a thousand years For God, who transcends time, that's insignificant. So from God's point of view, it's pretty quick. It's pretty soon. It's near. Everybody with me? All right, here we go. It will take place shortly. And he sent and communicated by his angel to his servant, uh, John. Now, the angel, his angel, who are we talking about? The first thing I want to say to you is this, that in the book of Revelation, you have a reference to angels in every single chapter except in chapter 4 and chapter 13. There's a prevalence of uh, uh, angel activity in the book of Revelation. Now, here's an observation. I finally figured it out. I'm a slow learner. But as I was going through all my studies, one of the things I discovered was that when Jesus came the first time there was a lot of angelic activity they were casting out demons they were casting out angels that were under the auspices of uh, Satan so there's a lot of activity involving angels with Christ's first company now today We don't see that. We're not casting out demons every time you turn around. That doesn't mean that's not active, but it's not like it was when he came the first time. The observation that I would take from there is when you get to the second coming, it's the same thing. Prevalence of angelic activity. All through the book of Revelation, there is reference to angels. As I've already mentioned, in every chapter, but chapter 4 and chapter 13. Why? Satan is trying to counterfeit uh, the activity of God in this world. Amen? Everybody with me? Now, the other thing that I want to say to you is not only there, is there a prevalence of evangelical activity in the book of Revelation, to be exact, there are 71 references to angels in this book 71 you only got 22 chapters but 71 times angels come to the forefront now and that's what happens in this very first verse the other observation I would make to you is he communicated it uh, Christ communicated it by his angel uh, to John his angel may I make an observation a lot of people call this angel the informing angels. angel. It is Gabriel we find it in uh, he is in uh, Daniel in chapter eight and verse sixteen he's also found in chapter nine and verse twenty one and he's giving forth information so this informing angel Gabriel by name, is the one that receives the message from the son who received it from the father, and he gives it to his informing angel that gives it to John. Now, by the way, this informing angel also manifests himself when the, the declarations are made, the revelations are made to Mary concerning the birth of Christ. It's Gabriel that does that, the informing angel. Then notice, his angel uh, gives it to his bondservant, John. We are bondservants. Romans, the Apostle Paul says we're slaves. There's nothing wrong with being a slave. Amen? Nothing wrong with that. Now, slavery, as we understand it from our country, that was wrong. But there's nothing wrong with people who serve a master. That's no problem. Now, notice, who bore, noted his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all the things that he saw. Now, uh, the thing I think we need to see here is that when it talks about the testimony uh, uh, or the witness of the word and the testimony of Jesus Christ, he's probably talking about this information that is in book of Revelation. Now, it can be broader than that, but I think the particular emphasis in this context is on the word of God that's given to John uh, from Christ uh, and uh, It's a testimony of Jesus Christ, and that's what gets John in trouble. It's not simply that John was faithful to the Word and witness to Jesus Christ. He was faithful in communicating the Word of the book of Revelation and its witness and testimony to Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? Now, notice we go from there to verse 3. And we notice that the significance of all of this is given to us. Blessed, <clears throat> happy is he who reads and those who hear <clears throat> the words of this prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. Now, is a different Greek word here. It means close proximity, close proximity, near. And we, as we look at the book of Revelation, most people say you can't understand it. Well, if you read it long enough and figure it out, it will become a blessing. It'll make you happy. Why? Because all this stuff we're having to deal with in this life, Revelation says guess what? It's all coming to an end, and we win. Amen? We can endure a lot of junk if we know when it's all over, we win. And that's what this book of Revelation is all about. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things uh, that are written in it, for the time is near. I want to suggest to you, blessed is he who reads, but also he who hears. I was never so astounded as, and I've been uh, into a lot of different countries of the world. I've been to Africa, I've been to South America, Central America, uh, I've been to Europe and all of those different places and some of them many times. Uh, but when I went uh, to Kenya, Africa, I was in for the greatest surprise that I think I ever experienced going and ministering to people in other countries. In Kenya, they have a strong Christian witness. And I was asked to come and teach in a Bible institute uh, just outside of Nairobi. And uh, I had 19 Kenyan men who were pastors or aspiring pastors. Point. Some of them, had no Bible. They would take a Bible and they would tear the pages out of it and distribute them and each one of those men would take a page and he would preach from that uh, page both sides until he understood uh, and his people understood and then they would go and they would rip out another page and give it to them. They didn't even have Bibles. I guarantee you in our church, And this is not a criticism. It's just a fact. People leave their Bibles, and you end up with stacks of used Bibles laying around. And so I knew that, and so we decided that we were going to get together and gather as many of those used Bibles as we could. And as missionaries went to Kenya, they took those Bibles with them and distributed it to these preacher boys or preacher men. The other thing, by the way, uh, is they had no commentaries. They had no study volumes. So we raised enough money uh, with a letter or two, and we sent every one of those guys a set of the, um, Bible knowledge commentary, Old Testament and New Testament, gave each one of the guys that. Now, I say all that because it was triggered by a word here in verse 3. Blessed is he who reads, And those that hear the words of this prophecy, they may not be able to read. And if they have a Bible, and if they can read, they don't have a Bible. But they can hear it from somebody else. And that becomes a blessing. Amen? So we need not neglect the book of uh, Revelation. It's a blessing. And the time is near, close proximity. Now, there's the preface. Now we go into the salutation in chapter 1, verse 4 through the A part of verse 5. Look what it says in 4A. John, there's the author in the salutation, is identified for us. To the seven churches that are in Asia, there's the addressees of the book of Revelation. It goes to the seven churches. And by the way, I've already mentioned, I think, when you talk about Asia in contemporary terms, that would be uh, the um, country or the nation of Turkey that is in the news a lot these days. That's where the seven churches were located, were located. Uh, notice John, to the seven churches which, that are in Asia, then here's the address. Grace to you and peace from him, who is, who was, who is to come. The originating source of uh, uh, this uh, grace and peace is the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, the energizing source. And then finally, and from Jesus Christ, the mediating source, from Jesus Christ. Now notice how he is described for us. The faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Three things that I want you to see that are described are describing the Lord Jesus Christ. First, he's the faithful witness. He's a revelation. Christ is a revelation. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the head of the resurrection. And then third, and he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is uh, the sovereign ruler over the universe. You remember in uh, the Psalms, the nations are in an uproar and so on. They're rebelling against the anointed. And the Father in heaven is laughing at it. He is my anointed. Amen. It may not look like it sometimes but uh, he is in charge. Then notice, to him, this Christ, who is uh, the revelation, who is the, rev- uh, the resurrection, and who is the ruler, notice, to him who loves us, there's the dedication of Christ uh, uh, to us, and we're going to see our dedication back to him, who loves us, And released us from our sins by his blood. He loves us and he saves us or saved us depending on the time frame. And he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and his father where he exalts us or exalted us. And so he loves us, he saved us, and he exalted us and made us part of his kingdom And the end of it says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's our uh, glorification back to him. He's done all this for us. Praise him. Exalt him is the end of the verse. Now there's the dedication. But you also then have a prediction that comes in verse 7 and in verse 8. Notice what it says. Behold, he is coming... With the clouds, I have no idea what that means. Uh, a lot of people say, "Oh, it's got to be a cloudy day when Jesus." I, I don't. I don't think that's what it means. But with the clouds, I'm not sure. Maybe it's just talking about the atmosphere and the clouds are representative. I just, I just tell you, I don't know what that means. Okay. Behold, he is coming with the in, uh, with the clouds, and notice. Uh, Every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. Several things there. When you talk about this, this prediction, it is certain. Behold, he is coming. Amen. Second thing that it says to us in this section uh, is that it is a universal coming in other words the text says and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him the universality of his coming how is God going to do that well some people say well you put it on television uh, or whatever I don't think God needs a television at all but somehow he's going to make it A universal thing. When Christ comes, there's going to be no question. Don't pay attention to those that, oh, Christ is over there, or Christ is over here. No, when he comes back, every single person will know he's here. Amen? Now, notice then, there's the prediction, the certainty and the universality of his coming. Now, this prediction in the next verse is supported. Notice what it says. I and the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Now that is set there as a foundation for what's just been said. He's coming, it's certain. He's coming, it's going to be universal. And this is something I say, the Lord God. Everybody with me? Now, once we begin get beyond that when we get to verse 9 our outline describes for us this chapter as the things thou hast seen here is where the vision of Christ comes the things that he sees notice in verse 9 I John your brother and fellow servant partaker in the tribulation and in the kingdom And in perseverance, which are in Christ Jesus, was on the Isle of Patmos. Why? Here's this phrase again. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. It's the same thing he's talking about back in verse 2. It's the word that is revealed here that John faithfully is communicating and shouting to people all around him that is... uh, of causing him trouble, and he gets uh, uh, deported to the island of Patmos. By the way, history dictates that he doesn't die on the island of Patmos. He's, he's set free. Okay? Just thought I'd throw that in for you. Then he says, I was in the Spirit, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does that mean? I was in the Spirit. Well, I think we can understand it if we understand how uh, these prepositional phrases are used in other places. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. Because I am in Christ, uh, I have righteousness and salvation and all of that. What does that mean to be in Christ? Or what does it mean to be in the Spirit? When I am in Christ, here's the way I think people can understand it the best. When I say, when you say, when I say to you, you are in Christ, that is a level of intimacy that you cannot have any other way. I am in Christ. I am clothed in the Savior. And Christ is in me. Intimacy between the Father, uh, between the Son and his, uh, and his people. That's us. And what does that mean when we come to this verse and uh, we read that He was on the island of Patmos, John, and I was in the Spirit. I was in an intimate relationship with the Spirit of God. I was walking in the Spirit. I was being controlled by the Spirit. There's an intimacy I have with the Spirit of God. Now, class, the New Testament talks about the fact that if I'm going to have victory in Christ, I have got to be in an intimate relationship with the Spirit of God. And that's what John has. And on the island of Patmos, and he receives Revelation. May I just give a personal testimony here? There are many times when I get so involved in my study of this book or Daniel or whatever, down through the years, that I get so caught up in it that I am uh, absorbed by it, and I forget about the person. I'm more involved in the content of the Revelation rather than the person that is being revealed. And sometimes I have to say, Whoa, stop. I'm going and in fact I did this the other day. I went back to my favorite section of the Bible, I went to Psalm. And I'm working my way through a psalm. How refreshing. And you know what happens? When I take time, set it aside and say, okay, I, I need to understand this, but and I, I don't have the time to go spend with God. But I do it, and I find out the understanding comes as a result a lot more easily. Everybody understand? Now, that does not mean child of God. That does not mean that when I am studying the Word, that I'm not necessarily... uh, being ministered to by the Spirit and in intimate relationship with Him. As I study, when I read the Bible, I must read with understanding for it to be meaningful. Okay? So when I am uh, having my devotions, it's not simply I'm reading the words, but I'm understanding what the words are saying to me and acting on them. Everybody everybody understand? One is an emphasis on God teaching me. The other one is an emphasis on the Word teaching me, if that makes any sense to you. But then he noticed, he says, I was in the Spirit. I was in intimacy with the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. And what is he saying? Saying and I'm going to have to get through here. I'm not going to finish this. I figured I wouldn't. I did too much preaching. I'm sorry. Saying, write in a book what you see, this vision, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, to Theratira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, I'm going to make couple of comments here, and then we'll be through for the day. Time got away. The first observation I would like to say to you is these seven churches were particularly selected in the order in which they were selected for a number of reasons. If you go to a map and look at the churches, there are other churches there in Asia Minor, Turkey today. Why did he partic- this, particularly pick this one, skip over that one, and pick this one? Because he has a message for us. And it's a twofold message, I believe, child of God. One, it's describing for us what different churches will look at like down through the church age. There are some churches that are Philadelphia churches. They're into reaching the world from Christ. There are other churches. There are Laodicean churches. They're apostate. They call themselves Christians, and their churches are supposedly places of worship of the Lord Jesus, but they've totally rejected this book. There are churches like that in Birmingham. So it describes different kinds of churches. The other thing, and this will be through, the other thing that it does, he picks these particular churches in this order that we find them here. Why? Because the church age is chronologically being described for us. The church age begins with a church that is deeply in love with Jesus Christ. But the church age ends with a Laodicean church, that is totally apostate, and they participate in the Antichrist and his, uh, his reign and so on. Everybody with me? So down through the years, that's what's happening. We're headed toward the apostate church. I think we're pretty close. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word, and I pray that as we uh, continue our study uh, in the book of Revelation, that you will teach us things we need to know Help us be men and women who are blessed from reading and hearing uh, the content of this book. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.